Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known to the nations or our ministry in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Today, we continue a consideration of the all-importance of repentance. When John the Baptist began his ministry, we learned that his message was, Repent and Believe. Jesus' message was the same, and it was this message that he taught his disciples to declare as well. The first word of the gospel is repent. In putting first things first now, we ask, what does it mean to repent? It just is, and you can find it true in almost every other alphabet. A is the first letter of the alphabet. It is alpha that comes first. Well, in the same way, Repentance comes first. It just is. It is the first word of the gospel. Let's go through it and look at it for a moment. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 4 and 5. Here, Jeremiah is giving a survey of the prophetic ministry that has risen up throughout the ages before the nation of Israel, before the people of Judah. Jeremiah says this, And the Lord has sent to you all His servants, speaking of the vast array of of prophet upon prophet upon prophet, all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Repent now, every one from his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers forever and ever. There is the first word of the prophets coming again and again to the people of Israel, repent. Now, go to Matthew chapter 3. Now we have John the Baptist who comes along the scene. John the Baptist is the last in the line of the Old Testament prophets, and he's the first in the line of the prophetic word of the New Testament, proclaiming Jesus Christ. And here is his message, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go one chapter over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. There in Matthew chapter 4, we discover what is the message of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we read this. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven is at hand. This is Christ's first message and is his ongoing message. In Mark chapter 1, the passage that we earlier read, we come to the story of Christ's baptism and of his temptation in the wilderness and his returning from that time of temptation. And now is the first expressions of his public ministry during the time of his public ministry. And we read this again in verse 15. From that time on, he began to preach the kingdom of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That was a shorthand expression. That was an audiographic expression of the first message of Christ in his first public ministry following his baptism and the ongoing message of Christ throughout his ministry. Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus Christ again says this. Jesus answered them and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
It's his ministry, it's work. And now when the Lord Jesus begins preparing his disciples in order to send them out, in order for them to carry out the ministering work and to bring forward the message that he would have them bring throughout the communities in which they are to minister, we'll see that the Lord Jesus calls the twelve and that he appoints them, he sends them out. Mark 6, verse 7, we read this. Then he called the twelve to himself and he began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper for their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He also said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust from under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So there's their instructions. Here he's put them aside. There's their instructions. They go out now. Here's what they do. And so they went out and preached that people should repent. There's the message of the disciples. It's actually the message that the Lord Jesus commissions to be the ongoing message, the first word of the church throughout the church age. In Luke chapter 24, the Lord Jesus now begins to dial down and bring down and coalesce the expression of his life before his disciples, and he brings before them all of the message of the Old Testament, preparing them for this moment and the revelation of the Messiah who comes to die and suffer for the sins of the world and rise again from the grave and to come again once in the future. And having brought all this teaching down into himself, in verse 46 of Luke chapter 24, he gives this final instruction and sets forward the apostolic ministry that is to go on through the life of the church. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness or remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. What? Of his death, of his resurrection, of his command and call that all men should repent. And so the very first message that Peter preaches, ends with this conclusion. It begins, in a sense, this first response to the gospel begins with this first note in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, in response to men and brethren, what must we do? Then Peter said to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, a passage that we'll have to look at again in the future, Paul is speaking to the people in Ephesus and he is explaining to them and he's reminding them of the nature of his ministry that he had among them. And there in verse 21, he says to them, I kept nothing back from you that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you and I taught you publicly and from house to house. That's in verse 20. I taught you publicly and I taught you house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks or Gentiles, repentance towards God, and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. He's summing up the overall message and application of the message of the gospel that he taught and proclaimed. And he's telling us that he was faithful to the message of the prophets. He was faithful to the message of John the Baptist. He was faithful to the message of Jesus Christ. He was faithful to the message of the apostles. He was faithful to the message of the church commissioned to them by Jesus Christ. I preach to you this message of repentance and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 26, verse 20, again, Paul is giving witness to his ministry. 
He's coming towards the end of his ministry, and he says, I declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, and then throughout all of Judea, and then to all of the Gentiles. There's a picture of the expansive ministry that God had given him, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. J. Edwin Orr was right. Repentance is the first word of the gospel. You cannot proclaim. You cannot deliver to an individual the good news. You cannot call them to an appropriate response to that good news. You cannot speak to the awakened heart and the open heart that God opens to hear His word and His message and extract from your message this word. Repent. So, what we must ask ourselves this morning and begin our study, at least today, and we'll move for some time over this, we must ask ourselves, what is repentance? If that's our message and that's our word, we should know what it is. What is repentance? In the Greek, the word for repentance is metanoia. Somehow, the translation has twisted it around to pick up a Latin word from the word penitentia, which means to agonize or suffer. And the idea there is agonizing and suffering to do penance for something that you've done wrong. But that's actually not what repentance means. That's not what the word means when you find it in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word is metanoia, and the word means to change your thinking. It means to change your mind. Meta for change, noia for thinking or mind. It's a change of mind, but it's a radical change of mind. It's a change of mind in which you take up God's position against your own self, in which you take up God's position against your own sin, and you carry His argument against yourself and your sin. Now, that's rather radical. That actually is something more than just penance. That is the stealing of your intellect and the stealing of your will and the stealing of your emotions, all of your being, in God's stand against yourself. The change of your whole way of thinking in life. Repentance is a person who stands with God against himself. So let's think of some ways in which God stands against us. And let's understand that the repentant person stands in the same position. All right? We won't be able to cover all of these things, but this morning let's think of four things. Four things that God does in standing against us, his position against us. The first one is this. God declares that we are all sinners. And so we take up God's arguments and declare that we're sinners. You take up your position with God and you say, I am a sinner. Romans 3.10. What does it say? There is none righteous, no, not one. That's God's word. That's God's declaration. Romans 3. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Last week I mentioned to you that I have a question that I've asked to individuals and that I've asked this question thousands of times over the last 25 years. Most of you know that I have a ministry that takes a good percentage of my time working with different churches here in North America, partnering with churches overseas, and that we engage individuals in dialogues in the gospel in these different places. There's going to be a ministry that's going to be taking place in July in two different cities in Brazil. There's going to be a ministry taking place in another region, in a province in Cambodia in August. I'll be participating in a ministry and some of the folks in our church in Peru later on in September, the first week in September. Following that, I'll go to Ecuador. We'll be training a team of 
young Indians in the Amazon basin, and they're going to be taking this ministry out to the different tribes along the Amazon basin. One of the questions that they've been taught to ask, it's a question that I have asked thousands of times, is, do you believe that you're a sinner? And I mentioned to you that having asked that question thousands of times, that I could count on the appendages of my hands no more than ten times. Individuals have said no to me, I'm not a sinner. People know it. They know they're sinners. I remember even asking the one individual who said no to me. One of these individuals, I even know his name. His name was Bronco, a Hungarian man. No, I'm not a sinner. You're not a sinner? No, I'm not a sinner. So you're perfect like Jesus. Oh, no, no, I have vices. Well, what are your vices? It's women, and drinking, and gambling, and Bronco. I don't know what you call those. God calls those sins. Those are sins. It's quite easy to get a person to concede ultimately that they're sinners. They not only can't keep the law of their own conscience and the laws and dictates that they might have for their own expectations of themselves, much less could they keep a perfect law, a law set up by their government, which is imperfect, they can't keep that, a law set up by the God who gives them a conscience. Oh no, they're sinners, they know it. But the interesting thing is when you ask a person if they're a sinner, they will say, yes, I'm a sinner, but that's not as far as they go. Generally, the next statement they'll make is, but I'm, I'm not a bad sinner. I sin, but I don't commit big sins. Their opinion is that they're sinners, but they're not engaged in the most serious kinds of sins. And so there's the next layer in repentance. God must show us that our sins, all of them, are as serious as an everlasting hell. We must change our minds about those mistakes and habits that we think aren't so really bad and see that they're really sins. Join us in our next study on this topic. Until then, this has been the Bread of Life. You can learn more about our work around the world or in your neighborhood by going to breadoflifeboise.org. For now, may the Lord bless you.